Welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast, brought to you by TournamentPokerEdge.com, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to poker tournament strategy. Now here's your host, Clayton Fletcher. Hello once again, everybody, and welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast, sponsored by America's Card Room, ACR, where you still have uh, like two or three more days now. It's the finish line here, the home stretch for the $10 million Venom, which is one of the biggest tournaments in the online poker world. It's a $2,650 buy-in with a $10 million guarantee. We have satellites running round the clock, so get in there and jump into the Venom. If you're not yet a member of America's Card Room, you can click the link in the description to this podcast and use the code TPE to get a first-time deposit bonus, 100% bonus, up to $2,000, which there you, there you go, right there. You're already halfway home as far as jumping into the Venom. It is a tournament like no other. My name is Clayton Fletcher. I'm in freezing cold New York City. And today I, I have a special guest, a first-time guest, uh, someone that I've spent a lot of time talking with in the last few months. He is a proud member of TPE Nation. <laughs> he's uh, very active on uh, the Killing Bird home game, and he's been playing in some of our ACR free rolls lately under the Tournament Poker Edge free roll tab, which I think we're going to do another one this weekend, but I just am waiting for confirmation. Get in the Discord, guys. We, we always put the latest information about the free rolls and stuff in the Discord. So join that. There's also a link for that in the description. But I want to bring on my special guest from Parts Unknown, Chris Moody. Chris, how are you, sir? I'm doing good, Clayton. How are you? Good, good. So where, where are you located again? Uh, Charlotte, North Carolina. That's right. Now, you and I have never actually met in person, but we've done some uh, work online together and stuff. I want to get into your story a little bit. How long have you been playing poker? Uh, um, I guess 03, 04, something like that, back when, uh, you know, the good old days of poker stars. Right. Um, yeah, so just off and on since then. Uh, never, you know, get too much into the live, you know, as far as casino tournaments. It's mostly been online. Yeah. You have a regular job, right? You're not a full-time player, right? Right, yeah, yeah. Right. Got my own small business, so uh, that takes up a bit of time during the day. Sure. So, Chris, um, you first reached out to me. You've been listening to the podcast um, for a long time, and, and thank you for that, by the way. I always like doing interviews with podcast listeners because I don't have to explain to you how the podcast actually works, which is helpful for me. Uh, sometimes when I have a guest, I can kind of tell they don't really know what we do here, and I have to walk them through it a little bit. Um, but at some point, you reached out to me, and why don't you tell the listeners why you did that? So I uh, luck boxed my way through a couple of satellites. I uh, started with a $12 satellite, and I got into the $95 Beast, which I believe was 20 Venom seats guaranteed or something like that. And I ended up luck boxing into a Venom seat. <laughs> so I was interested in, in getting a little bit of professional coaching so I could maybe increase my odds of, you know, making a little more, making a little more money out of it. So uh, 
that's what I did. <laughs> that's amazing. I mean, just the the feat of turning twelve dollars into twenty six fifty, just doing that right there. I mean, that's something not all of us can say we've done. Um, what did that feel like when you just had uh, such a small investment and now you were going to be playing in a ten million dollar tournament? Uh, I mean, it was awesome. I, uh, <laughs> I I just felt like I'd already won, you know, because well, I was trying to sell action. And that was going to be my guaranteed money in my pocket. Uh, but that, I don't know if y'all remember that particular Venom, the uh, day two was going to be on Halloween. And so they ended up having to move the day two, which made everybody deregister and re-register. So I lost out on everything that I sold. Uh, <laughs> oh, no. I'm so, about that. But <laughs> still a great experience. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's not the most prestigious thing I've ever won in the poker world. Uh, by far the most prestigious thing I've ever won is this beautiful trophy I got in the Killing Bird home game from taking down the leaderboard championship. <laughs> so uh, for, for those of you who play it, uh, I'm sure we've bumped head a few times. Uh, I'm, I'm stellar ace on ACR, so look out for me out there in the streets. All right. So, yeah, I obviously should have included that. In your intro, we usually like to start when we introduce a new guest. We like to give that person's, you know, highest accolades first. And I'm, I'm very remiss in not including the trophy that you won for being the leaderboard winner for the uh, Killing Bird home game, which, by the way, is a lot of fun. It's a $3 buy-in that we do on Tuesdays. Uh, you can follow along on twitch.tv slash killingbird. And you can play in that tournament on America's Card Room. Yeah, I apologize. And the trophy. Wow, that is <laughs> that is something. That is incredible. It's a shame we're not on video because I can see the trophy right now. And boy, that is spectacular. Yeah, <laughs> the thing you're most proud of in life, I assume. Oh yeah. <laughs> so you you know you managed to get into this thing, and then you you had a good plan, I think. You know, you win a. a basically a free roll $12 you end up parlaying $12 into 2650 and then you wanted to put some in your pocket just say you know I'll sell action to this tournament that I actually didn't have to buy my way into and that's a you know pretty good strategy obviously uh the powers that be at ACR switched the uh the the schedule for that tournament which forced a deregistration which uh I guess by that point, you couldn't sell action anymore. It was too late, right? Yeah, it was like I only had like a day and a half or something left to, to you know, repost. And so, I, I mean, it is what it is. But uh, either way, I was real happy with the experience. Yeah. So you called me up. You said, you know, let's do some coaching. And, uh, you know, we met four or five times. Yeah, that, that was kind of your way of... That was my way of buying some action in a way. It's like we exchanged the hours that I spent working with you for uh, equity in your tournament. So uh -huh. I was also playing in the uh, Venom. This was the Venom PKO that happened, uh, I guess, in October. Yeah, you just said it was Halloween. So that one, uh, I was rooting for you because I had a pretty big chunk of you by the time we we finished uh, uh, coaching and everything. So uh, I don't want to give any spoilers about whether or not the two of us made any money off of this deal or not. Yeah, why don't you talk a little bit about how we did the coaching and, um, you know, how it changed maybe your approach to the game a little bit. Um, you know, to start things off, you know, we just got, you know, 
to know each other a little bit and know my game a little bit. And we started with, you know, coming up with some ranges, keeping in mind that this buy-in level was out of my league, uh, so to speak. Uh, so the gameplay was going to be something that I wasn't used to as far as my opponents. And so to kind of err on the side of caution, um, you know, with the ranges that, you know, I kind of came up with, we wanted to tighten those up a little bit. And, you know, one of the couple of, there's two things that really kind of stuck with me that we, you know, kind of talked about. Uh, that was one of them kind of tightening up my ranges, but then also, um, kind of tweaking based on position, even, you know, from earlier position, kind of playing a, a little bit tighter than I normally do. And then in later position, kind of opening it up a little bit more than I normally would. Um, and I think that, you know, that kind of stuck with me because I, you know, it's, it's lended itself to some success after the Venom even. So, you know, I kind of took that with me. Yeah, that's good. Let's hear about that success. So what happened once you started uh, kind of adjusting by playing fewer hands in early position and even more than you used to in late position? Uh, it, you know, it just led to, you know, I, I, I mean, after the Venom tournament, I ended up uh, binking a few tournaments. Um, so, you know, the, the lawn car, lit with lawn car home game, I, I took that one down. I took one down on another website. Uh, actually, I took a couple of down on, on the other website. So it's, uh, you know, it lent itself pretty good, I guess. That's that's great. Yeah. Now, the long car, you know, we had him on uh, not long ago, I guess in December. So you like to play with the with the Twitch streamers. Is that kind of your thing? Yeah, yeah. I kind of mix it up with them. It's, it's fun watching them and, and chatting with them. And uh, everybody else in the chat, you know, that's playing in the tournament as well kind of mixing it up with them it's you know it's 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 a fun time for me so you like to join in with the different home games that's interesting i wonder how many players out there do you see a lot of the same guys like on michael's thing as you do with Derek? yeah i mean they, they each one seem to have their little click uh, uh-huh but there are a few that kind of rotate around all the other ones like me yeah, I'm sure some of the listeners are rolling their eyes at me right now because I'm such a, uh, I'm, I'm kind of a Twitch fish, you know. I'm still learning about Twitch. I don't know how to do half the things you can do. People have been whispering to me for months, and I just figured out that I was getting whispered to. And, uh, you know, I'm an old guy, so what do I know? But, yeah, that's cool that it led to uh, some success for you. Do you have a um, – well, I was going to ask you if you have a hand, but before I do that, I want to just – kind of say uh my side of this story is that uh you telling me what your experience level was and what the typical buy-ins were and my experience having played in the venom before i told you there would be some satellite winners and some players in there that just you know maybe have a lot of money and they don't mind throwing it around a little bit but a lot of the competition is uh you know, at the higher buy-in levels, you tend to get some of the best players in the world will join in to get a crack at a share of this $10 million prize pool. And my concern was that you might be in there playing like your normal ranges that you might play in like a $3 Killing Bird home game or a $10 Michael Longcar home game. And that would just put you in a bad position because you're going to end up playing a lot of hands from out of position. If you already have a skill a disadvantage... Now you have a positional disadvantage. That's going to be trouble. So even though maybe the uh, 
GTO preflop chart might say, for example, that you can go ahead and come in for a raise with a hand like like King Jack suited or something. Uh, we definitely took hands like that out of your range from under the gun and under the gun plus one, but put more hands into your late position range because I, I didn't want you to end up being too tight to cash in the tournament. I think with the ranges we came up with, you'd still end up overall on average somewhere around 18 to 20% VPIP, which is, uh, you know, totally fine. We'll still keep you in, in uh, contention for mm-hmm. the for the Venom title, if you will. So that was kind of my philosophy there. Um, did you get a chance to ever look at your stats from that tournament and see what you ended up playing? Um, I, I don't know what my VPIP uh, stats were from that tournament. Um but I, I did play. I played very few hands. It was kind of a dry experience as far as the hands are concerned. But um, and that was that was probably as far as learning wise for me. I know different people learn different ways, but learning best for me was actually kind of going through individual hands and just talking through each step and and the options and what would be best and what to you know what to think about for each step and. That's most helpful for me, uh, as opposed to just a, a standard, okay, you know, uh, generic board. This is you know position and action, uh, but talking through each individual hand and the cards that are in play kind of helped me better visualize, um, you know, the action I should be taking. Wow, that's good. I'm really glad to hear that because obviously that's, you know, when you're when you're helping somebody or, or coaching somebody or whatever, that's that's really what you want them to do is kind of change the way they think about hands, not just try to come up with what's the right answer, right? We're trying to figure out what the approach should be, what we're trying to accomplish in every spot. So, uh, yeah, that that feels good to, to have you say that here on the podcast. And uh, just for the record, I did not Venmo him any fee to... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> to give me credit or anything. <laughs> so yeah, so why don't we now why don't we take a, a look at a hand? So this was back in October. It's the Venom PKO. Um the starting bounties, if I'm not mistaken, are like six six hundred and twenty five dollars, right? Right. Mm-hmm. So yeah, if you're used to playing um PKOs, the Venom PKO, th- these bounties can end up being uh you know pretty substantial very early. In the tournament, and it's not like a mystery bounty where you have to wait till day two to collect. If you bust someone on the first hand, you get, you know, cash right away. Remember, this man has twelve dollars invested, so even busting one player would be, you know, pretty great, you know, from that standpoint. Oh yeah, absolutely. All right, so let's get into it. Sure. So uh, this is about a couple hours into the tournament. Uh, I'm, I'm sitting there. About 75 big blinds. It's uh, as far as chips. It was 235,000, and I'm in the big blind, and it folds around to the button. Uh, and the blinds, by the way, are, are 1,600, 3,200. <laughs> they always do. That's uh, weird. <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, so the button raised it 9120. Uh, so basically, what a you know little what 2.5x or roughly something like that. Yeah. Um, and the small blind calls, and so I call in the big blind with pocket nines. Yeah, now did you consider uh, three betting in this spot? What was your kind of uh, 
you're thinking as far as whether to call or re-raise. So, yes, in in some of those other tournaments I play, I, I I might depending on you know the the player I'm up against. I don't have any information really on these guys. Um, as a matter of fact, I only had 20 hands on the button, um, and so I'd really, I really I don't trust you know that that small amount of information. So I figured it'd be best to just see a flop and and kind of go from there. Yeah, I, I can understand that. Um, generally speaking, if you think or or suspect that your opponents have a skill advantage over you, in other words, you don't think you're one of the better players in the tournament, which is a, a feeling I get quite often, by the way. <laughs> if you ever have that feeling, you might want to consider embracing the variance a little bit. So maybe a spot where... You feel like calling's okay. It's actually you want to play bigger pots. Uh, the bigger the pot, the more you can neutralize that other opponent's, uh, you know, perceived skill edge because it's easier to play once you already have a lot of your chips in there because you're not making pot commitment decisions as hard on yourself, right? So now I'm not saying that this is necessarily a spot for a three bet, but just kind of generally just talking about another adjustment I make in a tournament where I feel like I'm up against a tough field or it's like maybe it's not really that tough of a field, but I just happen to be at a bad table in an otherwise good tournament. That's an adjustment I'll make. Now, with you starting this hand with 75 bigs, you know, we're not going to get all in pre-flop and be happy. So I think calling here is is just fine, but kind of a point that I wanted to, to touch on, I guess. Sure. And, and I guess I should mention the uh, the other stack sizes. Uh, the button has about two and a half uh, starting stack. Cause he was about 800,000 uh, before the flop. Uh, and then the small blind is about uh, almost 550,000 before the flop. So I'm, I'm the effective stack. Uh, yeah, and they have you well covered. Oh, yeah, easily. Okay. Yeah, that's a good point. All right, so yeah, then you're not really threatening their stack. It's just, yeah, if we do three bet here and one of these guys puts in a four bet, we're going to be in a bad situation. So actually, especially with that in mind, I, I, I like your play here of just calling to see a flop. Let's go. Yes, sir. So that's what we do. Flop comes down, deuce of diamonds, deuce of hearts, eight of clubs. Uh, so I kind of check in flow uh, the small blind checks uh, and it checks around uh, to the button and, and he checks as well okay so yeah before we talk about the turn uh, we flop an over pair on eight deuce deuce rainbow and uh, we've got the pocket nines and yeah what do we make of this uh, decision by the button to not bet on a board where I would I would think most buttons would bet a board like this, right? I mean, it's eight, deuce, deuce. Yeah, the blinds called him, and maybe one of us could have an eight or a deuce. But, you know, most of the time, a continuation bet's going to win this pot. It's pretty hard for, for this board to hit anybody, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean, if anybody, the blinds would be the ones that, you know, it could possibly have a piece of it. Um, so... You know, I, I checked in turn because, you know, he, he's showing the aggression. So I was going to let him keep the lead in the hand. I was considering check raising um, 
when I made the check. Because um, I would, I mean, check raising and taking it down would be, an, you know, a great result for me as far as I'm concerned. Um, you know, for any of the hands he has over over cards, things like that, ace king, ace queen, king queen, even uh, getting those hands to get out of there would be, you know, a positive result. Yeah, it would. Um, those hands have six outs against us, and uh, that's not nothing. So. Yeah, obviously, if he C-bets here with a hand like, let's say, king-queen, right? The Especially if the small blind folds and you know you're just going to be heads up with this guy, it isn't bad to get him to fold his uh, hand that has some amount of equity with the six outs. But it's actually probably better if we can get him to go ahead and, and keep firing, right? So a lot of us would try play... Uh, just turn nines into a bluff catcher and hope to just play it slow and maybe keep him bluffing. But yeah, there are merits to both. And I think sometimes players miss this point. It's like when you get a player to fold the worst hand, that's not always a bad thing, especially because remember, we're going to be out of position. And so I think going for the check raise on the flop, uh, it might not be the standard play, but I think that it, it does have a lot of value, especially because it will... I mean, he's not going to continue if he has king-queen because he can't even beat ace high at that point. Sure. But he, but he, at the same time, he's drawing pretty live against you with a hand like that. And very important, you're going to be out of position. You know, <laughs> I hate being out of position against players who are better than I am. And so check-raising there is good. And you should also, therefore, check-raise when you do have a deuce or mm-hmm. maybe even an eight, right? I mean, what's the difference between having pocket nines and pocket eights? You're trying to, or, or not pocket eights, but an eight on eight deuce deuce. Either way, you're trying to get him to fold king queen. So I like it, but it didn't happen because it checked around. So what happened on the turn? So the turn came the ten of spades. Eight. Now we have eight deuce deuce ten, and that brings a flush draw, right? No, it's a rainbow board, badoogie, as you would say. Okay, a badoogie board. Every suit represented. Mm-hmm. Um, so how do we feel about our pocket nines now? Um, I mean, I feel like I'm probably in the lead uh, at this point uh, because the guy didn't see bet. I feel like he does have a lot of ace X, uh, even king X. You know, I feel like, uh, I mean, he still has, he still his range is still wide open. I mean, he, he could still have aces all the way down. Uh, as well, just trying to you know be a little tricky. I, I mean, again, like I said, this is uh, outside of my pay grade, so to speak, as far as skill level. So uh, I don't know how valid that thought is. Uh, yeah. So when when you see that check back on the flop, I would assume that he probably doesn't have aces all the way down, as you said. Like I don't think too many players are checking behind with two opponents with a hand like pocket tens, pocket jacks. Generally, we want to try to get value and also not give you guys a free card uh, because those hands are a lot more vulnerable than, say, pocket aces, pocket kings. So, yeah, when he checks back, if if your nines are no good when he checks back, he's usually going to have specifically pocket aces, pocket kings, or, you know, maybe pocket eights for the flopped full house that just feels like he has the board locked up and doesn't want to bet yet. Um, otherwise, yeah, I'll agree. I think that 
the nines are going to be good most of the time. Uh, so the ten of spades comes on the turn, and the small blind wakes up and leads out for eight thousand. Oh, where did he come from? Uh, yeah, so he he wakes up and and bets eight thousand. So this is where you know I feel like I could have done something different than what I did. Okay, well eight thousand is what percentage of the pot? How much is in there? Uh, thirty-one thousand. So it's what about a third? Roughly, or a little less, yeah, yeah like that, more like a quarter, right? Uh, oh yeah, yeah, actually, just yeah, basically. Yeah, so he's making a very small bet here, and yeah, it's just do we want to call and keep the uh, the original razor in? Like he's probably got to call a bet this small, even when he does have that king queen we were talking about trying to check raise him off of a minute ago. Now, obviously, the small blind could I guess have us beat but he really shouldn't have too many deuces in his range right right and if he doesn't have a deuce then how are we beat like he slow played pocket tens uh you know he could be value betting with a hand worse than nines he could have a a pair himself like pocket fours pocket sixes right anything like that i think most players would have three bet pre-flop with uh, a pair above nines so yeah, this bet wouldn't scare me too much. It's just do we want to play it slow and allow the original raiser to stay in the pot, or do we want to raise now and kind of take control of this hand going forward? We can get a lot of value from the small blind if he ever has a hand like king eight or something, right? Because he's probably not going to fold to our raise, and we have that hand absolutely crushed right now. So... I might forget about the original razor and just try to build a pot against the other blind. So I guess uh, he said eight thousand. I would probably make it like twenty five here. Yeah, that's. I was about to say four x. Yeah. Uh, you know, mid three, three or four x. Uh, you know, so I chose the worst option and called. No, no, no. I think folding is worse. So I, I think once I call, uh, then I kind of have to hold on. I think. Uh, my plan would have to be just to, you know, as, as long as the river wasn't too scary, I, I think I'd I'd have to hold on. Um, when, but like you said, raising, I think I can rep that deuce pretty credibly, uh, being in the big blind. Uh, so if I could go back, that's that's what I would do. Uh, but that's not what I did. So I called, and then the button. Raises to 49,000. Okay. So I guess he sprung the trap or is at least representing that he sprung a trap. I mean, what do you think that his range is when he puts in this big raise? Do you think he might just be doing this because the bet was so small on the turn and you didn't raise it? So he's like, these guys don't have that much. I can push them around. What, what are your thoughts? Um, so going after going back and, and reviewing the hand, I feel like this was probably induced. Um, I feel like, you know, the, the small bet and the call, he kind of senses weakness and is taking his chance to, you know, capitalize on it right now and take it down. Yeah, I think he could be doing that quite a bit. He could also be thrilled that you guys are, are tangling here because he's got that flop full house or maybe 
ace deuce, right? He doesn't have many deuces in his range, but I mean, on the button, he should be raising with all of his aces, suited or not, right? So he's going to have a deuce some of the time when he's also got an ace with it. I mean, I suppose he could also have pocket deuces for, I mean, he has all the deuces right now, right? So that, that's his value range. And a good player, and we're just assuming because this guy's in a $2,600 tournament that he is a good player. He might be the worst player in the field. We only got 20 hands on him. We can't, we can't be sure, but, you know, just speculating that he's probably decent at least. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's going to have some number of bluffs for some number of value bets. So it's not like you can literally put him on anything, but I don't think he's got very much value, so he shouldn't be bluffing too often either. But yeah, it might just be a situational thing. It's like, you know, it's both blinds are, are tangling here. They kind of forgot about me. Let me announce my presence and try to take this thing down. That would be him bluffing with like a king queen, right? But some percentage of the time he's actually going to have it here you know in the form of a full house or pocket aces maybe or especially uh, a hand with a deuce like i guess deuce deuce or ace deuce would probably be the the only two i don't know do the solvers have us opening with the hand like king deuce suited i'm sure from the button yeah especially this deep i'm, I'm sure it is yeah right that's a good point because we start with almost 80 with 75 big blinds so yeah your range is going to be pretty wide for opening so he does have some deuces of course um but you guys aren't doing a very good job of representing that deuce and there's kind of a school of thought especially nowadays in the last two or three years just play very very aggressively in uh pots where the board is paired and you'll do kind of all right for yourself just taking that advice so it it could be something like that too where he's just saying you know i don't have anything but the chances are no one has a deuce, and so maybe I can take this down um, for when he is bluffing. And, of course, you know when he's value betting, he's hoping you, one of you guys has something really good. Maybe he can beat a deuce at this point with pocket eights, pocket tens, hands like that. So, yeah, interesting spot. Does the small blind call or fold? Uh, small blind folds. All right, so now it's up to us. I don't know. I mean, are we going to call here? And then call again on the river and end up putting all 75 bigs in with pocket nines. I mean, I guess it's not terrible, to kind of depending on what that river ends up being. Uh, what was your thinking here? What kind of game plan do you have uh, dealing with this raise? Um, well, in looking back, uh, I think if I didn't pull the trigger the you know on the flop. Then I, I think I, uh, or not, not the flop, but but the uh, small blinds, very small bet, that this should have been maybe an opportunity for me to do that. Uh, he's putting uh, uh, quite a bit of pressure on my stack. He's betting almost 50k, and I've got 220k left. Um, and as far as you know, he's basically he's betting pot basically. Um. If he is bluffing, then, you know, like I said, with the king-queens or ace-king or ace-queen or whatever, the the overcards, then, you know, taking it down, you know, here would be a great opportunity for me. And, you know, uh, I, I like I said, I, I did the worst thing again, and I just called. 
Yeah. Well, so many times when I review my hands where I, I kind of kick myself a little bit, I wish I would have played it differently. It's pretty rare that I say I was too aggressive. I mean, you guys know me. It does happen sometimes. But still, even a player who's as aggressive as I am, I, I find there are times when it's like, this would have been easier if instead of calling, I would have just had a raise or fold mentality. Now, I don't know. I mean, if we raise here, we're going to be pot committed, right? Like, even if we click it to, like, what would that be, like, 18 big blinds, it's going to be, I mean, a 28, rather, big blinds, if you did, like, the minimum re-raise. Also, it looks weird. Like, you just called, and now you're re-raising? I don't know. If you yeah, don't just... raise the small blinds itty-bitty bet, then I think you kind of have to just call when the button raises. It looks odd otherwise. Yeah, I mean, I guess my thought there was, you know, I could be waiting for him to do something like that with a deuce. Right, right. You do have some deuces in your range, of course, because you were the big blind. You probably have the most deuces in your range out of everybody in this pot. That's the only thing I can rep, though, it would be the deuce. Um, and so uh, I called. Yeah, but I, hold on. You, you have pocket eights. Right, you have pocket tens. You can wrap other things. Well, yeah, that's true. Um, I think tens, though. I think I I three bet. Um, I think I, I think tens was that line of calling and three betting for me. Oh, okay, uh, that makes sense. Yeah, we talked pre-flop about whether you consider three betting with nines, and where you landed was just keep the pot smaller, see a flop. But yeah, you would have been a little more excited to have tens. You would have you would have gone for the three bet there. All right, so that's your line of demarcation, which is uh, you know pretty good. I don't, I don't have a problem with that that strategy generally. So yeah, we decide to just call this big raise on the turn. Yep. And uh, again, I, I hate that, and I think I hate uh, this next action even more. Okay. Uh, I check, and he shoves. Oh, oh no! It's a Oh, man. Uh, how many big blinds? Or Give me the numbers on this shove, if you could. Um, so I'm the effective stack. So in the pot, there's 138,000, and I've got 180,000 uh, behind. All right. Now, for those who don't play PKOs much, this might look like a ridiculous play by the button. But you got to remember, if if he's value betting here... If he manages to bust Chris, he wins 625 real dollars, right? So that's the bounty. So that's what we got to remember, guys. Like you are in the PKO format, you end up being all in a lot more than you might in a regular tournament because you're trying to get people's bounties. So it looks to me like he's, if he's not bluffing, he's making this big bet because he's pretty sure. He's ahead of whatever you have. He's not worried about that deuce. And he wants you to call so he can not only win a big, big pot here, but also collect that, that bounty money. Right. And, and I, I don't think I mentioned what the river card was. Um, I'm sorry. It's a six of spades on the river. Okay. And uh, we knew no flush was coming. But I guess um, one particular straight came in, which is the 9-7, which we block. Right, is the only straight that came in. So we're not worried too much about about that. It seems like, it, I suppose it's possible the button could have that. But you know what, 
with me holding two nines, I'm never going to worry about nine seven in this spot. It's yeah. just does he have the overpair like pocket aces? Would he play pocket aces this aggressively? Which I'm not sure he would. I think on some level he has to be at least a little concerned that you have a deuce. You called that big raise on the turn with something, right? Right. Yeah, and uh, like I say, he, he shoves. And I think once I make that call of his big uh, turn bet that I, I've just got to hang on at that point, especially with a six river. Um, I think you know, I should have called. I, I ended up folding, uh, but... I think if I could play it over again, I, I would I would make the call. Yeah, well, you you have to be right when you make that call. Yeah. A, a large percentage of the time, right? Because it's an overbet. When you make a bad call versus a, a big overbet, uh, it it costs you a lot in equity, chip EV, and of course in this tournament, the equity of not being able to collect any more bounties because you're out of the game, right? Mm-hmm. Not to mention whether you could have made day two or three and gotten into the actual, you know, the the regular prize pool in addition to the bounty prize pool. So I'm not so sure. I mean, I think had we played the turn the way we did, I don't know if I want to call this river shove. I mean, I think that your call on the turn shows a lot of strength. And our opponent doesn't want to lose <coughs> half his stack in this pot. Or a third of his stack. I know he started with a lot of chips, right? But yeah. still, it's it's not nothing. I don't know. This is a really good hand to discuss because this is the <laughs> this is exactly the kind of stuff that we were talking about when we were doing the coaching. I said these guys are going to put you in spots where you're going to have to guess, and you just really don't know what to do. And that is, at the end of the day, that's the essence of a good player. Whenever I'm playing tournament poker i'm trying to put my opponents in a position where i know what to do but they don't right i like i want to keep them put the pressure on them and the way you do that is with aggressive actions so all we did in this whole hand is call yeah and i i think you know i remember at the time i, I tanked for quite a while yeah uh, and i don't know i guess i guess it's a coin flip for me i you know, at that point, once once we play as played, once we get to the river, I think it's a coin flip for me whether I call or not. Just because, you know, it's such a polarizing bet. He's either got it or he's he's either got queens plus or nothing. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, and I don't even know if I have queens. I think it could be aces, kings, a deuce, or a full house, uh-huh. and that's his value. And the rest is nothing, right? Like he's he's not doing this with pocket sevens, right? Or something you can beat. So if you can beat him, it's because he's bluffing, not because he's value owning himself with an eight or whatever. I don't think anyone would play an eight this way. Yeah, yeah. Anyhow, this is a tough one. But if it makes you feel any better, I hope it does. I also would have folded. Had I played the rest of the hand up to the end as as you did, and you just you know put me in your seat right when the river comes out. I'm going to check and call a reasonable bet, but I think I, I just have to fold to this bet. I mean, you still have so many chips left in your stack, and hopefully you'll be able to get into some better spots that are a little bit easier to navigate. Yeah, maybe we got bluffed, but wow, if this guy is uh, willing to throw around the chips that much, 
then you know we have position on him and we'll probably get those chips back. So in other words, if I fold here and I start to notice this guy is an absolute spastic maniac, I'm not too worried about whether I folded nines earlier because having position on him is going to be huge later uh, in the game. So yeah, I guess to me that's uh, that's a close one, Chris, and uh, a really good hand to discuss. But yeah, I'm folding. What do you guys think? You know, hit us up on Twitter. I'm at Clayton Comic, and what's your Twitter, Chris? I believe it's uh, Stellar Ace Eleven. That's what I thought uh, it was, too. That's it. Yeah, so find us on Twitter. Let us know what you think of this hand. So how did the rest of the tournament go for you? Uh, horrible. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, you know, from then on, I just kind of bled down. I think I got down to uh, around 120K or maybe even less than that, maybe around 100K, and got pocket sevens. Uh I think at the time I was about 20, 25 big blinds or so. Um, a guy opened, and I just three-bet shoved, and he called off with King Jack off and flopped a king, and that was all she wrote. <laughs> yeah, of course, we all play enough tournaments to know that's, that's, that is the way it goes sometimes, but obviously it feels a little bit more devastating when it's like the biggest online tournament you've ever played in or something. Uh, yeah, obviously, like... Losing a coin flip in the main event at the World Series of Poker uh, hits different, as the kids say, than uh, you know losing a coin flip in the Killing Bird home game. Not to take away anything from that game or the uh, prestige associated with winning its coveted trophy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's poker. Yeah. So what are you playing these days? Are you uh, are you planning on playing the the Venom this weekend? What, what's going on? Uh, I didn't. I didn't get lucky and win a ticket. Uh, <laughs> if one of these Twitter giveaways come through, then uh, I'll probably be sitting this one out. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm hoping to jump in. I'm just trying to juggle my schedule uh, so that I can make it. Um, obviously, I love playing on ACR nowadays. I've got my own avatar. It really looks a lot like me. The avatar is a little more handsome than I am, but <laughs> otherwise, it's a reasonable facsimile. It's like me on my best day is what my avatar looks like on ACR and uh, I hope to see some of you uh, at my table in the Venom once again guys if you don't have an account yet you can sign up by clicking the link in the description of this podcast use the promo code TPE and you can get a first time deposit bonus up to $2,000 100% of your buy in up to $2,000 uh, just by clicking the link and using the promo code TPE. All right, Chris, this was fun. Anything else you want people to know? Um, everybody have a happy Valentine's Day. Yeah, yeah, that's a good a good point. Don't forget to buy flowers or candy or whatever for your loved one. Valentine's Day is coming. Enjoy it. Uh, wishing you the best. Chris, thanks so much for taking some time and hanging out with me today. Absolutely. Thank you, Clayton. All right. So for Chris Moody and for our generous sponsor, America's Card Room, for everyone here at Tournament Poker Edge, I'm Clayton Fletcher. Thank you so much for listening. I wanna hold them like they do in Texas plays. Fold them, let them hit me, raise it, baby, stay with me. Lock in intuition, play the cards with babes to start. And after she's been hooked, I'll play the one that's